0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Raleigh, North Carolina, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Raleigh, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Raleigh. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. This is your host, James Orr, and I have a pretty exciting class today. Today's class is all about improving cash flow by buying down your mortgage interest rate when buying investment properties. It's called Buying Down Mortgage Interest Rates for Real Estate Investors. And uh, let's jump right into it because there's quite a bit to cover and I wanna make sure we get through it all. So today we're gonna be discussing primarily Buying down your interest rate when buying a rental property. Um, the way that I'm going to do this, there's a spreadsheet that Brian made, uh, which I'll, I'll provide a link in the show notes too. But I'll the the spreadsheet actually allows you to go contact your lender, get a bunch of the buy down rates that you can get from your lender, enter them in the spreadsheet, and it does a bunch of math for you. And then you can make a decision as to how far down, if any at all, that you want to buy down your interest rate. And that is, the way that he does it is one way of calculating the return you'd get from buying down your interest rates. There is an alternative way of doing this. And that is to calculate the internal rate of return that you would get on that extra money that you'd spend buying down the interest rate. And arguably some people, including me, might suggest doing it with an internal rate of return calculation. However, that's not what we're gonna cover today. Um, And the way that we're gonna do it today, I think is completely valid. I think it's just a slightly different way of looking at it and a probably easier way to understand than internal rate of return for most folks. Okay, so um, this can be a really good strategy for improving cash flow, And as you might see, one of the alternative strategies to this is, you know, you could take this extra money and decide to put it down as additional down payment instead of taking that money to buy down the interest rate. And in some cases, I would say most cases, you would be better off buying down the interest rate. Um, and we will look at that math. Now, there may be a time factor component to that where if you're only going to hold the property for a year or two or three or whatever you're going to do there, it may be better for you to not buy the not buy down the interest rate. Um, it may be better for you to put more down or to not put more down and just uh, deal with whatever negative cash flow or slightly less than ideal cash flow you'd get by not putting more down or buying down the interest rate. But that's something for you to decide because you remember- I'll kind of tie this back into when we talked about achieving financial independence. There are some folks who are buying properties that they intend to have and hold forever, and that that is going to be part of the income they receive when they're financially independent. These are properties that you expect to hold in your portfolio um, indefinitely. Like you do not plan on selling them at all. And then there are other properties where people would buy in order to get a really good return on, especially that early on the like excellent return you get return on equity you get when you own a property for the first few years and your equity is relatively small because you're highly leveraged and you're able to get like almost like rocket booster type returns on that. Some people are going to buy properties to get those rocket booster type returns with the intention of trading them up for something else, you know, doing a 1031 exchange and buying something larger or selling off those properties, paying all the expenses on them, you know, the capital gains, the depreciation recapture, um, You know, the real estate commissions, if you've got any of those going out and closing costs, if you've got those going out and then take that money and then use that in order to stabilize your returns elsewhere, whether that's investing in something else like stocks or bonds or taking that money and paying off existing loans. So depending on whether this is a property that you plan to hold forever in your portfolio or a property that you plan on holding for a short period of time and then doing something else with it you may or may not choose to buy down your interest rate depending on the whole period. I'll also add in one additional wrinkle. If your plan is to buy more properties than you need, like let's say you intend to have five free and clear properties in your portfolio at the end. Let's say you your plan now is to go out and buy 12 properties with the intention of you're gonna eventually sell off seven of them and pay off the remaining five so that they're free and clear. Well, if you're gonna pay off the remaining five early with proceeds from selling the extra seven, then you may not want to buy down the interest rates on the five either, because those are ones that you will not hold the loan for full term. And so these are things that you should decide. And the reason why we covered those in previous classes before we get to this point is you should decide which properties you plan to have in your portfolio at the time when you are financially independent and how you plan to get there. Like, do you plan on paying off these properties early? And a lot of times we make these plans and they change, but realize that you should have this plan going in. Okay. Now that I've given you some background and context, let us talk about doing uh, buying down interest rates when buying a property. Today, we're gonna focus in on buying down the interest rates when you are purchasing a property. And specifically, I am not going to talk about buying down the interest rates when you do some type of cash out refinance on a property or when you do some type of cash in refinance on a property where you actually put more money into the deal and refinance your property at the same time in order to get you know, shorter loan term or um, lower monthly payments or to get a better interest rate. So we're not talking about cash out refinances. We're not talking about cash in refinances. We're not talking about doing a rate and term refinance where we're refinancing the rate on the loan and or the term on the loan. And we're definitely not talking about recasting a loan where you have a lump sum of money and you want to reduce the payment on your existing loan without changing the other terms of the loan. You just want to kind of like, Put a, you know make a, a ten thousand dollar additional payment on your property and reduce the monthly payment by whatever it is fifty bucks hundred bucks somewhere in Apple Park depending on how much time you got left on the loan but we're not talking about that either this is specifically buying down your interest rate when purchasing a property okay big picture when you go to get a loan the interest rate you get on the loan can be changed by how much you either pay and give to the lender or how much the lender gives you as a credit to take a higher interest rate. So you can voluntarily take a higher interest rate and have the lender give you a credit to help cover closing costs. So you go to a lender and then you tell them, hey, look, I'm thinking about getting a loan. They tell you, okay, the rate right now, if you don't pay any points at all is going to be zero. I'm sorry, it's going to be 7%. Zero points in, 7% loan. However, if you are willing to take 7.25 as your interest rate, we will give you $3,000 or $5,000 or $8,000, whatever it is um, as a credit that you can use to cover some of your closing costs. Or you can give us some money and we will give you a lower interest rate. If you sort of like give us $5,000 in advance, we will, instead of giving you 7% of your loan, we'll give you 6.75 as an example. So it can work both ways. You can pay money in order to have your rate lowered or you can receive money as a credit from the lender in order to take a higher rate. Now, the money you receive is not able to be used for down payment. Down payment is completely different. The money you receive can only be used to cover like closing costs, not down payments. Okay? Okay, now, when we're discussing this, for the sake of this class, the change in the interest rate we're talking about is for the life of the loan. Okay. There are other loan programs where you could go in and the lender will say, I'll give you a uh, you know a 2-1 buy-down type of loan, where for the first year, you get a really low interest rate. For the next year, you get a slightly higher interest rate, but still lower than what it would normally be. And in year three, you're getting your normal interest rate. You can have a seller. A lot of times it's a builder. Um, paying a lender in order to buy down the interest rate for you for a period of time, like a temporary lower interest rate. That is not what we're discussing here in this class. This class, we're talking about you paying a fee to the lender and in exchange, the lender is lowering the interest rate for the life of the loan. So if you were going to get a 7% loan, now you're able to get 6.875 and that lasts for 30 years or lasts for 30 years or until you pay off the loan. So you could pay off the loan organically over that 30-year period if it's a 30-year loan. Or if you make extra payments on it, it could get paid off sooner. So that interest rate would only last until the loan is paid off, you making extra payments. Or if you go sell the property, then the loan gets paid off and you no longer have that interest rate. Or if you refinance the property and get a new loan on it, then you get rid of that interest rate. So realize when you're buying down these interest rates, you almost need to like plan out what you're going to do with your property. You need to do some loan planning and say, I plan on having this loan for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years until it's paid off. So for, as one example, I have a, I have a loan on my owner occupant residence and the loan is at 2.25%. It's a fixed rate 30 year loan. I am probably never paying that loan off. The loan is at such a low interest rate that I would rather have that money sitting in CDs, or buy another free and clear rental property instead of paying off the loan on my owner-occupant property. But it helps to know when you get a loan how long you're going to have that. Okay? Now, there are other things you could do where you get these short-term interest rates, which we talked about, like that lower payment for the first two years. Again, we are not discussing those. Okay. So I mentioned the word point. What is a point when you hear a lender say a point? Like you may hear them say, look, you know, your interest rate is uh, you know, 7% with one point or 6.5% with one point or 6.5% with two points. A point is money that you pay to a lender upfront to get the mortgage interest rate. It is non-refundable. It is a fee that you pay to the lender in order to get an interest rate. And they can be positive where you pay the lender points or they can be slightly or they can be negative where the lender gives you a credit in order to do that. From the lender's perspective, it almost looks to them like money now instead of interest later. So they're like, look, you can pay me $5,000 now and I will give you a lower interest rate so that I'll collect less interest over time in exchange for a little bit of money up front. Now, one point is 1% of the loan amount. So if you're getting, if you're buying like a five hundred thousand dollar property, and you're going to put twenty percent down, as an example, that means you'd be putting um, uh, you'd be putting a hundred thousand dollars down on a five hundred thousand dollar properties. So you'd get a four hundred thousand dollar loan. Then one point of a four hundred thousand dollar loan is four thousand dollars. And to be absolutely clear, this is not part of your down payment. Any points you pay are in addition to the down payment you need in order to get the loan. They're in addition to other closing costs you might have for getting the loan. And the points you pay are not part of your monthly payments. It's not like if you pay points, then those count as part of your monthly payment, okay? Points are separate things you pay to a lender upfront. They're non-refundable that affect your interest rate on the loan, okay? That's what points are. So let's talk about what PAR rate is. The par rate on a mortgage is the mortgage interest rate you'd get if you paid exactly zero points. You did not buy down the interest rate at all, and you did not receive a credit to accept the higher interest rate from the lender. The par rate is the interest rate you'd get if you didn't pay them any money and they didn't give you a credit to change the rate at all. Now, Rarely does the par rate land on like one of these round interest rates. It's not like they're going to be the par rate is 6.00% or the par rate is 6.5 or the par rate is 7.00. Rarely do they end up on one of those sort of like really round numbers. They're usually like, you know, 6.531 or 6.744 or 6.122. Like they they end up being in these like weird spots. So in most cases, when a lender is giving you a quote for kind of like what par would be, they will tell you, you know, par is about 6.5 and you're getting a $200 credit, like a really small credit, or, you know, par is 6.5 and you have to pay $250 in order to get that rate. Like, so the par rate might've been a little bit higher than 6.5 or a little bit lower than 6.5, but they'll tell you, you know, you're getting a 6.5 rate and you got to pay us, you know, point. of a point, or 0.01 points, or 0.1 points, or like they're, they're not usually even and equal like that. So you'll usually end up paying a little bit more to buy down the rate, or a little bit less to get a credit in order to get at that round interest rate. So par rate is not usually on an even number. Now be careful. When you ask a lender, hey, what's the rate you're giving me? be careful that you understand what the terms of that rate are. And what I mean by that is some lenders will automatically default to giving you a rate with one point. So you can't just call a lender up and we cover this and we'll cover it again when we go through the class on how to compare loans. But I have a class on how to compare uh, loans with different lenders. You can't call up a lender and say, hey, what's the rate today? Because one lender may automatically assume that all of the rates they quote are with one point. And another lender may automatically assume that the rate they want to quote you is the one where you get the smallest credit. So, and, and the rates may be, you know, a quarter point difference or more, you know, depending on what you're looking at. So you got to, you can't say to them, you know, do this because they're not necessarily quoting you the same thing. You need to understand what the charges are for that loan to make sure you understand what they are giving you. So when you call them up, say, you no, know, what is the rate? Uh, What is the par rate right now with no points? And believe me, sometimes you need to clarify with them that that's what you want because they will still sometimes give you the wrong one. So oftentimes it's better to get the sheet showing what the buy downs are and what the credits are. And so you can figure out your own par rate to make sure you understand that they're giving you something that you can compare to someone else. Okay, so just a tip when you call lenders, you're trying to do that. Now, so let let me paint a picture for you. You're about to buy a property, okay? You have enough money set aside for whatever down payment you need. You have money set aside for all the reserves you need on the property you're buying, your personal reserves, and any other properties that you currently own. In addition to that, you have your closing costs set aside for buying this property. And if you're prudent and you actually have negative cash flow on the property that you're buying, and maybe you're buying a property with little down and it's got some deferred down payment, negative cash flow, Um, you've set aside any negative cash flow you'll have until that negative cash flow goes away. Now, we'll talk about this in another class, but you've set set aside any negative cash flow that you have on that property um, as a prudent investor, knowing that, hey, that's coming. Maybe I should have my down payment, my reserves, my closing costs, and any negative cash flow that I'm going to have on a property. If you have a negative cash flow, you don't need to worry about that. Okay. So that's the context of where we are. In addition to that, in addition to your down payment, your reserves, your closing costs, and maybe some negative cash flow if you've got that, you have some extra money. So the question is, what do you do with that extra money? Well, number one is you could invest in something else. You could say, I'm going to keep this money on the sideline, and I'm going to use it to buy my next rental property, my next down payment, next reserves, next closing costs, all the stuff you need there. You could take that money and you could use it to market for off-market deals. Try to find some type of creative financing situation where you do some marketing and you look for a motivated seller where you can negotiate owner financing or subject to wrap financing or lease option or whatever you're doing there. So you can use it to do marketing to find off-market deals. You can make improvements to a property to improve cash flow, whether that's the property you're about to buy or another property that you own. You're like, you know, if I went and I converted this property to, um, you know, kind of like Closed in the garage, or added an extra bedroom, or um, you know added a RV parking spot, or whatever you want to do in order to make improvements. You could take that money and you could get improved cash flow with it. You could hire a property manager to buy back your own time. You could set aside money to do that. Okay, so these are just some of the ideas of things you could do other than use the money to do what we're going to do today. Okay, the other things you could do is you could de-risk. You could take that extra money, you could say, I'm gonna increase my reserves on all of my properties so that I have a lower risk level. You now, if you thought it was prudent to have one month of reserves on all of your rental properties, that's probably risky. If you said, you know, I'm actually gonna de-risk by taking the extra money I have and I'm gonna make sure I have six months of reserves on my rental properties, that's less risky. If you say, okay, look, I want to even de-risk even more. I want to have a year's worth of reserves on every single one of my rental properties and my own personal expenses. That would be a way for you to de-risk. It would would reduce your overall risk by having more reserves. Another way to de-risk would be to buy more or better insurance. Be property insurance, could be... umbrella insurance, could be additional liability insurance, could be maximizing your rates on your car insurance, you know, whatever it is that you want to do to de-risk, that is one strategy you could do with that extra money. Another thing you could do with that extra money is you could put more down. By putting more down, it means that you end up borrowing less, which reduces the payments that you have on the property, and therefore would improve cash flow. So by putting more money down, you borrow less money on the property, reduces the payment and improves cash flow. It may also get rid of PMI. If you went from putting 15% down to buy an investment property to putting 20% down, you would also eliminate PMI. So you'd borrow less because you're going from 15% to 20% down. So you're borrowing instead of 85%, you're borrowing 80% now. So that would reduce your payment. But in addition to that, you'd get rid of PMI, which would further reduce your expenses on the property, which would also improve cash flow. And when you put more down, sometimes you go over a threshold where the lender says your rate now improves. If you go from putting 15% down to putting 20% down, not only do you borrow less, not only do you get rid of PMI, but you also get a slightly better interest rate directly from the lender because you went from an 85% loan to value to an 80% loan to value on your loan, okay? So by putting more down, you can improve your cash flow in possibly three ways, usually at least two, which is borrowing less and getting a slightly better interest rate. So those are some of the options if you have extra money when you're buying. Today, we're going, to co- we're going to cover one of the other things you could do with that money. And that is you could voluntarily pay extra points to the lender to buy down the interest rate on the loan. Okay, so you give money in, in, in terms of points to a lender. They're non-refundable. You don't get them back. They don't count as equity. But then you actually use that in order to improve the interest rate you're getting on the loan for the life of the loan which could improve cash flow. So comparing the two options, you can either put more money up for down payment or you could buy down the interest rate. If you do it as a down payment, you borrow less, you lower the payment, you get improved cash flow. When you buy down the interest rate, you borrow the same amount, you reduce the interest rate and you improve cash flow. When you put more down as a down payment, the money is now in equity in the property. You are likely to get it back when you either sell the property or do a cash out refinance. When you buy down the interest rate, the money is consumed. The lender takes it as a fee. It is not equity in your property. You do not get that back when you sell or do a cash out refinance. When you put more down payment down, it lasts the full life of the loan. Just like it does if you buy down the interest rate. They both last for the full life of the loan. When you put more down in down payment, it may change your interest rate. May. If you don't go over a certain threshold, if you only go from putting 20% down to putting 22% down, you may not see an improved interest rate from doing that. If you go from 20% down to 25% down, you are likely to see an improvement in your interest rate when you put more down. However, when you buy down your interest rate, that's literally what you're doing. It does change the interest rate. When you put more down down payment, it may impact your private mortgage insurance. If you go from less than 20% down, to more than, to at least 20% or more down, then it will affect your interest rate. It'll affect your PMI. It even affects your PMI if you go from like 5% down to 10% down. It doesn't even mean that you need to get rid of it completely, but actually having more in down payment will reduce your PMI payments by some, not to zero. You have to, in order to reduce your PMI to zero, you need to go above 20%, 20% or more, okay? But you can go from 5% to... and they could actually adjust your PMI because you hit certain thresholds with PMI. When you buy down your interest rate though, it does not impact PMI at all, okay? So those are comparing the options. So let's say you do want to look at, consider buying down your interest rate. you call your lender up or you'd email your lender and you say, look, hey, can you send me a list of the buy down table uh, for buying down the interest rate on this particular thing? And they'll send you over something what looks like on the screen here, which is a buy-down table showing you all the different rates along the left-hand side. Then there's a column for APR, which I'm not going to get into today. Then there's the price, like how much it actually costs you in order to do that. The discount or rebate percentage, like how much in terms of points that it costs you to do it, whether they're giving you a credit, which is the green ones down here. This is where they're paying you money. The red ones are where the borrower, you, are paying in a fee in order to get that. This is the dollar amount of the rebate based on, you know, whatever price of property they put in to give you this quote um, and whatever your credit score is and stuff for today. So it tells you like how much it costs you to do that um, in order to do it. And then it gives you what the principal and interest part of the payment is. Okay. So this is the table they will give you. And you're looking at it and you're like, you know, I'm not sure I understand like what the implications are just by looking at the table. And that's right. That's the trick is that you need to do some math in order to determine if this is worthwhile doing. Okay, so then what we do is we take the spreadsheet that your lender, you take the the data that your lender gave you and you plug the numbers into the spreadsheet. Brian Williams, buy down calculator version 3.01 is what we're using here today. And you're going to enter in your loan amount, the purchase price of the property you're buying, the loan length, for example, 30, 30 years. The par rate, and if you don't know the par rate, there's a little calculator on the spreadsheet for helping you calculate what the par rate will be. If they only have like, like for example, on this one, the par rate wasn't even. It was probably somewhere between 6.5 and 6.625. As you can see, one way there's a little bit of a fee and the other way there's a little bit of credit. So it's between these two numbers. So the spreadsheet will help you calculate what the exact par rate is. And then you copy the interest rates and the costs from the lender email. So it looks something like this. You enter in the loan amount over here, the purchase price, the loan length, and then the PAR rate. And the, the PAR rate calculator is below this. So if you need to calculate it out, you could do that. But I calculate that for you and then sh- I showed you what it is here. And then it will calculate what the PAR payment would be for you. So it'll actually do that calculation. Then you put in the interest rate, it usually like files and down here if you're doing that. But if you're if you're doing ones from your lender, you may want to copy them manually into here. And then you put the cost in, from the thing. So 6.875 is $2,366 credit. So 6.875, $2,366 credit. So that's what you're doing. You're putting in this rate and this number here, okay? So when you do that, the spreadsheet will then do a whole bunch of calculations for you here. It's gonna tell you the difference between how much it costs you in order to buy down the interest rate from here to here, the difference in those costs. So, for example, if you were going to go get 6.875, they would give you a credit of $2,366. If you want going to get 6.75, it would only cost you eight, it would only give you a credit of $803. So, the difference between these two is $1,563. So, it shows you the difference in cost in going from one to another. Then it shows you what the average cost per, like, tier to get down to here would be. So, it shows you what the average would be. And then this does a whole bunch of stuff, calculation points, you can ignore all that. And then the payment, if you bought it down, so this tells you what your new monthly payment would be. And then it it then calculates what the difference is between your PAR payments and what this new payment is and shows you what the difference in payment was. So for example, this is an $87.57 higher monthly payment than what your PAR rate for receiving a credit of $2,366. Hold on one second. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. Okay, so with that being said, you can see here that when you buy down the rate a little tiny bit at 6.5, you are end up getting a $30.52 better payments, which if you multiply by 12, you're getting $366.26 better cash flow on your property by buying down the rate there. And you can see there are ones where you're getting significantly better cash flow. For example, if you buy down the rate all the way to the max, um, you get $5,795.31, almost $5,800 better cash flow for the year. About five, almost $500 a month better cash flow by buying down the rate. Now you got to say to yourself, is it worth paying this amount of money in order to get that rate? That's what we're going to look at. And I've included this thing called vanity rates. So most of the time rates are quoted in the eighth of a point. So 6.875, 6.75, 6.25. But sometimes a lender will give you a quote for a rate of you know, 5.99 or um, you know 5.49 or something like that, where it's a number that is sort of like not one of the normal eighth of a point type dealios. And so you'll, they'll include those in your list but a lot of times vanity rates don't make a lot of sense. So I'll show you what they look like here, Uh, but I've included them in this chart. I will remove them later as we show you. Okay, continuing on. So this shows you what the difference in cost was when buying down your interest rate. And what I want to point out to you is that the amount it costs to buy down your interest rate, one eighth of a point is not the same and it's not linear. It doesn't automatically increase as you go up, okay? So this red line shows you where the part rate is. This is, these are ones are credits. These ones over here is you're paying a fee in points in order to get a lower interest rate. But in order to change your interest rate, you know, from, um, well, this is, got, it's got the vanity rates in there. So let me go remove the vanity rates here, but it shows you the difference. So for example, right here, in order to go from 6.25 to 6.15, it costs you a difference of $1,662 or $1,078. It's cheaper to go to this one than it was to go to this one. That's what we're showing you here, okay? So I've got some vanity rates in here. I've got like 6.49 and 5.99. I'm going to go and remove those. I'm showing you where they are, and I'm going to show you that. i am now removed those in the charts. Here's where they were in red. Now that I've eliminated those, now we've got only showing once where we have the eighth of a point difference. So you could see it a little clearer by removing those extra vanity rates. Okay. So when you go from 6.5 to 6.375, it costs you about, I don't know, whatever that is, $200, $210 more to do that. When you go from 6.375 to 6.25, it costs you another $200 more. But to go from 6.25 to 6.125, it's like $600 less. And there's, so there are these inefficiencies in the market for buying down your rates. And part of what you're looking at is taking advantage of these inefficiencies. They will sometimes tell you, look, we would prefer you to buy down here, but we'd prefer you don't buy down past this certain level. Like as one example, If you wanted to go from 5.125 to 5.5, I'm sorry, from 5.125 to 5 even, the difference in buy down for these is significant. You know, it's like 1400 bucks more. So this may be a spot where you might consider not buying down the extra amount. Or here might be one where you consider not buying down the extra amount. Or here might be one. You can see whenever it goes and it gets more expensive to buy down to the next level, you got to wonder. Is it worth it doing that for me? And we're going to do some additional math and I'll show you that, but realize that they change. It's not uniformly one price to buy down to the next lowest interest rate tier. Okay. Same table before. I've just now eliminated the vanity rates. Not going to go over this. I already went over it again. Now, one of the things we're looking at is the average cost per incremental interest rate. And you can look at these and you can see that, you know, ignoring the ones that are credits, If we start looking at the ones that are actual buy downs, you can see that they sort of like increase a little bit, then they decrease a little bit, and then they start increasing again. So if you were thinking about where you might want to buy down, one of the things you could look at is where it actually starts to increase again. So you can look for these inefficiencies, and I'm going to zoom in and graph this out for you and show you this is the average cost per incremental improvement in mortgage interest rate, the average cost in order to buy down to that level. And this is to the left of here are the credits. So we're going to just ignore those unless you wanted to take credit. But we're talking primarily about buying down the rate. And so you can see to go from 6.5 to 6.375, it's more expensive. To go from 6.375 to 6.25, it's slightly more expensive. Then it gets cheaper to go to 6.125. Then it gets the tiniest bit more expensive to go to 6%. Then it starts getting a little bit more expensive again to go to 5.875. So you could look at this and you could say to yourself, look, if I wanted to get a deal, it might be the the kind of like best bargain to start to stop buying down the rate when the rates start getting increasingly more expensive. So this could be a good spot for you to consider. Now the decision is totally up to you. You don't have to buy down your rate at all. You could choose to take the par rate, you could choose to take a credit. But if you're thinking about I want to improve cash flow on my property, this is one way to do it. And then you got to wonder to yourself, is the extra money that I'm spending worthwhile investment? What's the return I'm getting on spending this extra money? And that's where we're headed with this. So now we're going to show you what the simple and compound rates of return are for spending this extra money. So these are all the different interest rates along the side here. You can't see them, but if you're on the spreadsheet, this is just spread over to the right of the spreadsheet there. And this goes and shows you what your simple interest rate would be after you've paid back the money to yourself for buying down the loan. So this shows you that Once you paid yourself back the money in order to get the um, buy down itself, then you're earning, you know, in this case, 33.6% return on the extra money that you spent. Not bad in terms of simple interest. Now, if we take it and we look at this simple interest over a period of time, you could say after 10 years, including paying back on the initial amount that you borrowed, you know, this one would get you 23.6% return on any extra money you spent here. Now, most people are probably not using simple interest, although there are some times when you'd wanna think about it that way, but most people are gonna think in terms of compound interest. The money you're getting on the money that you invested over time from a while ago, um, you wanna make sure you take into account that time impacts your return. And so compound interest does that. So in this case, you can look at what your return is over here from seeing different interest rates that you buy down to. And you can see that there's a lot of them, depending on how long out you go, where you get good returns on your money for doing that. So for example, here's how you read this chart. If you got a, if you bought down your interest rate to 6%, you would have earned over a 15 year period of time, you'd have earned 28% per year, simple interest on the amount you spent to buy down the interest rate. So you got to ask yourself, you know, if I'm looking at other investments that I have that give me simple interest, what am I getting on those? And should I take this money and invest it by buying down my interest rate, knowing that this one is paying me twenty eight percent return? So you got to compare it to other things you could invest in. We already went over that list, okay? So that's the simple interest one. Here's the compound interest one. If you decided to get, if you decided to look at what your compound interest rate return is over a fifteen year period for buying down that loan to six percent, you'd be getting an eleven point six two percent compounding rate of return by buying down that loan and getting your money back. So is getting an 11.62% return on your money, a compounding annual return rate over a 15-year period of holding that loan for 15 years, is that a good return for you? And I think for a lot of folks, getting an 11%, essentially cash on cash, return on investment for buying down the loan is a really good return. Now, where else are you getting an 11.62% 15-year term cash-on-cash cash return on that loan, on, on, a, on investment. That's why it's probably pretty compelling to do that. Now, the more you buy it down, in general, looks like the lower the return you're getting. And the longer you hold it, the lower return you're getting after a peak. Okay? So there's like optimal parts here to do this, but that's the general rule. All right, more down. Sometimes putting more down will improve your interest rate and it will get rid of that PMI. So it'll improve your interest rate and get rid of your PMI. The spreadsheet does not take into account either of these things. It does not show the improved interest rate you get by putting more down and it does not take into account that you will get rid of PMI. However, it does look at if you put more down and improve that payment by that much, which one's going to be better? Should you have put more down? Or should you have bought down the interest rate? It'll compare those. It'll show you the difference in cash flow each one will produce for you. And then it could tell you it would have been better for you to buy down the interest rate or it would have been better for you to put more down. So let's take a look at the difference between putting more down or or buying down the interest rate, okay? So if you took the dollar amount that it cost you to buy down your interest rate to 6% and you use that as an extra down payment instead, your cash flow would be $1,729 per year better to buy down the mortgage interest rate. So this just shows you for each one of your rates how much better it would be or how much worse it would be. If it's negative, it, would, it means that it would be better for you to put more down. If it's actually positive, that means it would be better for you to actually have bought down the mortgage interest rate and by how much. So it'd be $1,729 per year better for you to have bought down the interest rate if you bought it down to 6%. If you'd bought it down to 5%, it would have been $4,055 per year better for you to have bought down the interest rate. This just shows you what is going on there, okay? And this number comes from this table. This is part of the spreadsheet, Brian's spreadsheet. So basically it shows you what the payment would be um, if you use the cost to pay down the loan, to buy down the loan as a down payment instead. So it calculates what that would be. Then it shows you what the payment difference would be. Then it multiplies that by 12 to give you an annual difference in payment. And then it tells you some other calculations. So the annual difference in payments here is there. Okay, so it kind of gives you an idea of those numbers. All right, hold duration. In general, the longer you hold the property, the better off buying down your interest rate will be. You you can't expect to spend money and then a year later, pay off that loan, and expect it to be profitable for you. You're going to end up, it's going to be ugly for you because you're going to spend all this extra money to buy down the rate, which you only got a benefit for for a year. But if you get that benefit for five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or 30 years, it tends to be better if you do it that way. And so this table, part of Brian's spreadsheet, shows you how much better it would be by how long you hold it. Now, I need to talk to you about what's going on in this table because It's not just cash flow anymore. Up to this point, we've been primarily talking about how buying down your interest rate or putting more down have improved the cash flow on your property. Because when you buy down the interest rate, it actually improves um, how much your monthly payment is, which means your cash flow improves by that amount. Or when you put more down, it improves cash flow because you're borrowing less. Although in some cases, it improves your interest rate too and gives you a PMI. Although in this case, we're only looking at the difference between borrowing less as to how it improves cash flow. So it does do that. However, when you buy down your interest rate, something else changes as well. If you remember the four areas of return you have when you buy rental properties, there's appreciation. The property, that, the property tends to go up in value over time. It doesn't matter how much you put down as to how much the property goes up or down in value. If you put 100% down, the property can still go up or down in value the same amount. If you put nothing down and you borrow 100%, doesn't matter. The property can go up in value that. Now, your return on how much you invested changes, but the dollar amount you're getting from appreciation stays the same. If the property goes up 3%, it doesn't matter if you put nothing down or you put everything down. Same thing holds true for your tax benefits. It doesn't matter if you put 100% down or nothing down, you still get the same depreciation benefit, tax benefits of owning that rental property. However, how much you put down is impacted by, um, or, or how much you put down impacts cash flow. The more you put down, the better your cash flow tends to be. If you buy down your rate, the better your cash flow tends to be. Okay. But it also affects something else that most people don't think of, and that is how quickly and how much you pay off on the loan, the debt amount each month. And I'll give you a really simple example of this. If you're buying a $500,000 property, and you're getting a $400,000 loan, the $400,000 has to be paid off over 30 years. So you got to pay off $400,000 over a 30-year time period. So a certain amount of that has to be paid off each month in order for you to pay it off by the time it's 30 years later. But if you only borrow $50,000, then the amount of money you have to pay off is only $50,000 over that same 30-year period. So the amount you actually pay off is significantly lower when you borrow less. However, something else people don't realize is when you change your interest rate, it also changes how much you pay off at what point in the loan. The lower the interest rate, the more you're paying off on the loan earlier. The lower your interest rate, the more you pay off earlier with each monthly payment. So the amount of equity you gain in your property also changes based on what your interest rate is so, when you buy down your mortgage interest rate, it also changes how much equity you grow in the property and when. What this chart takes into account is both your cash flow difference and the equity difference you get between buying down the interest rate or putting extra down payment down, because when you borrow less, the down payment impacts your equity as well. So, it does take into account both of those changes. And it shows you what the difference was. So in this case, if you look at whatever it was here, um, I think this is probably around, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. I think this was buying around to 6% or so. Um, so right here, I'm assuming this is the buy down 6%. It shows it on the on the full table, but I can't see it. Um, it shows you that after 15 years, you'd be $18,331 better if you bought down the interest rate then putting that money down as additional down payment. So this shows you both the cash flow improvement and the equity improvement you'd have by doing that based on hold duration, okay? Okay. Now, buying down your rates or prepaying PMI. So let's say you're doing a a nomad strategy or a house hacker strategy where you're thinking to yourself, okay, I put 5% down, I've got a little bit of extra money. Should I buy down my mortgage interest rate or should I take that same amount of money and should I prepay PMI instead? You know, PMI is whatever it is, $250 a month. I could take $5,000 and I could get rid of that $250 a month. Which one is better? Should I buy down the interest rate or should I prepay this PMI to improve that? And I probably should do an entire class on how to compare these. But for now, the correct way to do that is to use the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet which is free. Just go download it at realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash spreadsheet and do both options. Do one option where you buy down the interest rate, do another option where you actually um, prepay PMI and look at the returns you're getting, all the returns you're getting, because it actually impacts more than just cash flow. Look at all the returns you're getting and decide which one better fits what your specific goal are, what your preferred return characteristics are. Do you, are you emphasizing and, and making your number one most important thing cash flow, well, then you might want to look at cash flow. But if you're looking at what is my overall return, which a lot of folks are, then you may want to go look at which gives you a better overall return comparing those two different options. And that's the way to do it, okay? All right, in conclusion, you can choose whether to receive a credit or to buy down your mortgage interest rate. That's your choice when you go to get your loan. It can be better to buy down mortgage interest rates than to use that same amount of money to put more down. It can be better for you to do that. So you should call your lender to get the buy down amounts and then use the spreadsheet to do some math to see what may be best for you in your specific situation. And if you need help with this, ask your lender and or your real estate agent. You know, it would help if you fill out your spreadsheet and you understood what you're trying to do. But if you need assistance, your lender should be, able to answer questions about this and help you do it. Now, the decision is going to be yours. You understanding what return you're getting for buying down this rate from the spreadsheet, you need to decide, hey, look, do I want to spend more money in order to get this perceived return on that extra money that I'm spending, thinking I'm going to hold the loan for that amount of time, or do you want to not spend money and do that? I mean, it's up to you. So realize that the decision is yours and it's really a... Decision about what type of return you want to get on the extra money. Maybe you decide you don't want to buy it down at all. Maybe you say, look, I should just take this money and go buy another property. And instead of getting, you know, 11%, you know, additional cash on cash return on this, I can get a overall, whatever it is in your marketplace, 30% overall return on my money when you include appreciation, debt pay down, depreciation, and cash flow on your money. Or maybe you're like, hey, look, cash flow is really important to me. It's going to be what gets me to financial independence. I want to optimize for cash flow, and so I'm willing to spend money now in order to get a really good return on that money by buying down my rate and improving cash flow. It is your choice. All right, that's all I got for you. I hope you enjoyed this class. Um, I'll put a link to the spreadsheet in the show notes uh, for those of you that need that, and uh, feel free to use it to analyze your next buy down when you're purchasing a property. This has been James Orr. Have a great day, everybody. Bye bye for now. With home prices up mortgage interest rates up and rents up but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates. Cash flow on rental properties in Raleigh is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent,